Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Certain elements that have been true in the physical realm for our generation apply in the digital realm too. So think in terms of people wearing fashion for like bragging rights, right? Like you want to have like the latest Gucci sweatshirt and you're wearing that out on a Saturday evening. Well, the same thing is happening in Roblox. The same thing is happening in Minecraft. You're presenting yourself with a limited edition digital wearable in that realm to show who you are, to let your personality come to life. It's important. And that's why we're seeing brands in the fashion space, for example, enter the metaverse like Gucci, like Aloe Yoga, like Ralph Lauren, like Burberry, like Bulgari, and they're having tremendous success. Mark Beckman is the co-founder and CEO of DMA United, the award-winning advertising agency positioned at the center of style and design. His philosophy concentrates on building equity at the intersection of content and commerce. In fact, Mark has designed and implemented creative campaigns for countless individuals and corporations within DMA United's polyculture platform, including venerable brands such as the NBA, Pepsi, Sony, Warner Brothers Entertainment, Nelson Mandela, Gucci, and the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA. Mark's work, as you heard in the highlight, centers around helping brands tap into the newfound value being created right now within the digital space, paralleled from our physical reality, and how this value creates new brand loyalty channels, new revenue streams, and ultimately new opportunities for brands to connect with their customers. To date, he has leveraged blockchain technology to launch platforms for over 60 brands and has created seven marketplaces in Web3 for clients. His book, The Comprehensive Guide, NFTs, Digital Artwork, Blockchain Technology, is one of the clearest I have ever read on the topic. No wonder it has received many accolades, including receiving bestseller status and inclusion on J.P. Morgan's reading list. In this episode, he shares real-world insights from a marketing agency at the forefront of the digital revolution on how to leverage and pull your brand into the new digital era. The essential things you need to know about Web3, the metaphors, and the digital space to take advantage of the new opportunities afforded by them. How to use the perception of value of digital assets to create new revenue streams without cannibalizing your legacy streams. The new opportunities to co-create with third parties in the digital space or create a microverse of your own for your brand. What brands can do and examples of what they are already doing to revamp their brand loyalty programs with these new technologies. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Beckman. Mark, thank you so much for being here with us. It's great to see you again. I want to open up with the same two questions I ask all of our guests. The first one, just to get us to know you a little bit more personally, could you complete the sentence for me? If you really know me, you know that. If you really know me, you know that I enjoy hiding in museums alone and getting an opportunity to think and be inspired. Wow. Tell me more about that. Are these art museums? Are they history museums? Or does it matter? Predominantly art museums. And in particular, I like modern art. I prefer modern art. But what I find is that these days, it's always been part of my life, even when I was a teenager, 
But these days I find museums can provide me with a sense of comfort and peacefulness in this world that is just nonstop inundation with media, with clients, living in New York City, just all the noise and the constant tidal wave of content. It allows for me to unplug for a minute. So I went from being inspired when I was younger from the masters and the modern artists to now it's like I'm almost hiding from the world amongst Picassos. I love it. I love it. So yeah, I can see how that relates to your work in so many ways in terms of enveloping people and experiences. And we'll get into that. Next question that I'd like you to answer. This is a podcast on strategy. We ask this question of everyone who's on and everyone's thought about strategy as you have. And I always get a different answer. What's your definition of strategy? I think strategy is undervalued in general, much to my chagrin. I find that with my clients, whether they're emerging startups or Fortune 500 companies, for me, it's critical. It provides the foundation, the blueprint of how we're going to act as an agency, how we're going to behave, what we're going to implement, who we're going to participate with, specifically across two roads. The first is commercial. What are those commercial objectives? And the second is marketing. How are we going to act to build brand awareness? And I find over and over again that companies don't even want to pay for strategy because they don't necessarily see it as something tangible, right? It's not the same as at the end of the day, having some kind of a television campaign or, you know, building an environment, an immersive and persistent world in the metaverse. So I think strategy is undervalued, but for us as an agency, we layer it into everything from both a commercial and a marketing perspective. I got it. One thing that's fascinating about your background is that you come at branding, commercial, marketing strategy, and technology, but you came to it through, like you have a legal background. Can you explain that? Correct. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you mention that my background is, I guess, a little unique. I recently listened to a commencement speech that Steve Jobs gave at Stanford, and I think it was in 2006, maybe 2005, 2006. And he spoke about something that really connected with me. He spoke about how people can connect the dots back in their life to see how they got to where they are today. And for me, if I connect back in time, the legal piece of it makes a lot of sense, actually. So remember, my agency, we execute at this intersection of both content and commerce. So driving new business and revenue is a major part of the experience that our clients have with us. And with my legal background, it gives me the ability to chart out how we're going to structure deals in the best for our clients. So we'll often serve as lead negotiators for our clients, whether it's Carl Lagerfeld or Russell Westbrook, to get the deal done. But we'll build into that thought process what we need as it relates to performance obligations to bring, for example, the creative content, as well as maybe there's an item that we're selling to bring all of that to life. So the legal piece of it comes into the world of DMA, into my world all the time. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I see maybe also the linkage to technology as well, because you're dealing with IP and agreements and outcomes. Can you just give us a little bit of a sense of the type of work you do? I want to talk about what is the metaverse? What can companies do with the metaverse? What does that mean for creativity and where does creativity happen? I have all these other questions, but just to lay the foundation, can you just describe what work your agency does? Sure. We've built, I think, a very modern type of business model. We're forced to stay ahead of the curve because we're a small, independently owned agency in New York City. We have about 35 staffers at this point with all different skill sets. And this is interesting. 
what we've done is we've created this polycultural platform where we sit at the center of style and design, and we extend into fashion, art, music, sports, and entertainment. So our clients range from Sony Music and Warner Brothers Entertainment to Pepsi, Nelson Mandela's family, and beyond. And essentially what we do is we use that polycultural platform to create value for our clients. By way of example, a client in the music space might want to leverage the sports category to build brand awareness, to create more market share or whatever it might be. We're able to move one client across from their core business sector into a client in another lifestyle sector to get these types of benefits. So it's a very unique type of agency. And as a result of it, we've been forced to stay ahead of the curve. By way of example, we have been credited with creating the concept of collaborations in the fashion space. It goes all the way back in time. It's funny now, like talking to some people, some of our early day collaborations seem like they're archaic at this point. We've done programs for Karl Lagerfeld is very top of mind right now because we just had the Met Ball Gala in his honor here in New York City. So we put together a program for Karl Lagerfeld with Puma. We also did a program for Puma with Mac Cosmetics. We did Russell Westbrook's collaboration with Rizzoli Publishing, with Barney's New York when they were around, and the list just goes on and on. But we were forced to come up with a strategy at the time we built collaborations. The original goal was to build brand awareness for our clients, but moreover, there was a commercial initiative. It was about taking a client and giving them some credibility in a category where they didn't previously exist so that they could commercially benefit from that category, perhaps in a licensing deal. So if you look at the Carl Lagerfeld Puma deal, we put Carl into Puma knowing very well that there was a demand for Carl Lagerfeld sneakers. And we felt like if we could ramp up on a global scale with Puma, it would allow for us eventually to move over into perhaps just a straight licensing deal for Carl Lagerfeld sneakers. So it was a different way of looking at the world back then. Fascinating. Yeah, now you're looking at the world again at the cutting edge as you're helping brands understand and commercialize opportunities in the metaverse. Can you just describe what the metaverse is in your mind? You know, do you have to have blockchain or not? Does it have to be immersive? What defines the metaverse for you? As an agency, we are at the forefront of this world right now. And what I prefer to do is break it into two segments. For the sake of this discussion, at least, let's break it into two segments. There's Web3, which includes activity that is on blockchain, and then there are metaverse activations that are not on chain. So Web3 creates an ecosystem, or at least the foundational layer of an ecosystem that is comprised of blockchain, NFTs, smart contracts, digital wallets, and cryptocurrency. So we can activate in Web3. Or we can move off-chain, and we're very active right now with off-chain activations, particularly in the gaming space. It's a $300 billion category that is going to expand real rapidly right now with the advent of certain elements such as digital wearables, digital assets that can be used in the metaverse. So think in this area where we're in the metaverse, we can enter a third party's world like Roblox or Fortnite or Minecraft and build from within. 
Or we can also create an off-chain metaversal experience for a brand that's controlled within the brand's own community. So it's not going into a third-party world like Roblox, but it could be plugged into their own platform and be built effectively exclusively for their own community. So you might see this with a company like Bulgari, where it doesn't make sense for them to activate in a place like Minecraft or Roblox. So Bulgari would create their own microverse, I call it. So it's only activated through their own platform and for their own community. They control it entirely. So I'm going to get this wrong, I'm sure. This is not the right analogy. But when I've heard you talk about the off-blockchain or the kind of centralized or controlled version, I kind of think of airlines and airline miles that in a way I've got a whole bunch of American airline points. This is a digital product that I'm buying, but in a way it's a currency, but it's controlled by American airlines. I know that's not the right analogy. What would be the right analogy to help us understand I think actually what you're doing is you're hovering around one of the areas that as an agency we think will provide brands and consumers with the most excitement. It's about renovating a loyalty program. It's about modernizing a membership program. And we could bring these concepts to life both in Web3 and the metaverse, and we are. And we've already seen some of the best consumer-facing brands' loyalty programs shift into Web3. So by way of example, Nike's Dot Swoosh. We've seen it with Starbucks Odyssey. We've seen it with InBev. And it offers a lot. Whereas with your airline miles, you're limited, right? Only you could use them. You can't trade them. You can't sell them. And if you pass away, that's the end of it. But yet it's worth something. Now what we can do is we can activate for consumers in a way that creates access to more than just points. Because often those points also, when you start to look at points in a department store or points at a fashion brand, those points are valueless. They're actually like the value of getting a coffee. Right. So people don't even use them. And it's not a motivating factor to go shopping in a retail type of environment. Well, now you could create loyalty programs or membership programs that allow for unique access to experiences, services, live events, access to limited edition merchandise, collaborations. It's a whole new playing field. So what we do as an agency is we drive strategy through five pillars, personalization, community gamification, ownership, and interoperability. What does interoperability mean? So interoperability is important now because when we start to think in the context of Web3 and the metaverse, the idea now is how can I take essentially my digital asset, because now I'm owning a digital asset, and create some level of portability across chains, on-chain to off-chain, or from digital into the physical world and back. So by way of example, we can create a strategy now which incentivizes some type of behavior in the physical world, come to our store, buy a certain amount of product, buy a sequence of products, be pro-social in the physical world. And if you do so, we're going to power up or level up your digital asset so that you could have more benefit in the digital realm. So when you come back into the metaverse now, your digital asset, your NFT or whatever that digital asset is comprised of can create more value, a better experience, more access or whatever it might be. So interoperability is across chain, off chain and on chain and physical world back to digital. Okay, got it. I understand now. 
So I think a lot of people will be thinking, oh, you're talking about one day in the future, this is possible. And people are thinking digital assets, my kids have some Robux, but the market for that isn't significant or isn't here. What do you have to say to that? I think the perception of the value of a digital asset is a real issue that strategists need to think about. So if you consider someone like me, who's 52 years old, the way I interact with the digital realm is very different than a millennial Gen Z or a Gen Alpha. For a millennial Gen Z or Gen Alpha audience, those people have a much higher perception. There's much more value of a digital asset because so much of their time is used in their regular lives, in their careers, at school, vis-a-vis digital. So think in terms of how much they're gaming, where they're socializing, how they're taking in content, what they're using when they're gaming, if it's a powered up sword or some kind of apparel within the game, a digital wearable. For them, the perception of a digital asset is a lot more valuable than for my generation and older. The more we interact with digital assets, the more important it will be. So the perception of a digital asset forward-looking for the younger generation is going to be explosive. And I understand why my father and my mother might not be able to value a digital asset, right? Like a sword in the metaverse, or why am I going to pay $100 for a sneaker in the metaverse? I could understand why some people that are 70, 80 years old might find that totally ridiculous. But for the younger generation, they are there in the digital realm. They're being educated there. They're socializing there. They are there all the time. That makes so much sense. I hadn't thought about that. So as people spend more time in digital experiences, naturally, the things that are useful or valuable there become more valuable. Correct. And certain elements that have been true in the physical realm for our generation apply in the digital realm, too. So think in terms of people wearing fashion for like bragging rights, right? Like you want to have like the latest Gucci sweatshirt and you're wearing that out on a Saturday evening. Well, the same thing is happening in Roblox. The same thing is happening in Minecraft. You're presenting yourself with a limited edition digital wearable in that realm to show who you are, to let your personality come to life. It's important. And that's why we're seeing brands in the fashion space, for example, enter the metaverse like Gucci, like Aloe Yoga, like Ralph Lauren, like Burberry, like Bulgari, and they're having tremendous success. Some of the most luxurious brands have entered the metaverse already, not just for monetization purposes. Like by way of example, Nars Cosmetics, we launched their Genesis collection with NFTs and they monetized that, sure. But when they launched in Roblox, they didn't monetize anything and they had 100 million people use their digital color palette, makeup palette on their avatars, 100 million. So again, going back to the perception of value, you could imagine the perception of value for cosmetics in the digital realm sounds ridiculous, but Fortnite recently reported that more than 50% of their revenue comes through the sale of cosmetics in the digital realm. It's remarkable, like what's happening right now. And it all goes back to the perception of a digital asset. And it's a generational thing. Just to help us further appreciate the scale of the opportunity here, tell us about Travis Scott. I heard you talk about something that he did in the metaverse. 
Yeah, it's remarkable. The metaverse is going to unlock new economic systems for artists. And Travis Scott was the first example where literally he had generated more than $20 million for a concert that he put on in Fortnite and reached a massive audience. It was a 20-minute concert, by the way, in his home. And that number equaled almost half of all of the revenue he derived from physically touring that year. Amazing. So here we are, we are spending all year touring on buses and sleeping in hotels and preparing and we're earning 40 million and then 20 minutes virtually from home and earning 20 million. Think about how brands could monetize that, right? From a strategic perspective, now you could think in terms of if you have a live event in the metaverse, there could be new ticket opportunities, there could be new sponsorship opportunities, there could be new meet and greet opportunities. There's something called a POAP, which is a proof of attendance protocol. It's an NFT that in our world we would say is similar to a physical ticket that's been used already, like a ticket stub. If you issue a POAP to attendees of that live event in the metaverse, it allows for those holders to then go back to a store and purchase limited edition physical merchandise. So there are so many new revenue streams that companies that honestly strategists should be thinking about where they don't have to cannibalize the revenue that they're creating or building through Web2, through brick and mortar, but new revenue streams that they could capture in Web3 and the metaverse now. Fascinating. I love that you're really bringing it to life and showing that this is actually happening now. Because I think there is a perception that this is something that could happen in the future, but it was already here. So, Mark, another uncertainty I think that people have is how this relates to this idea of blockchain as just being completely decentralized, democratized system. And then you're talking about situations that are a little bit more controlled. How do you think about that? Are you talking about two different things? There really are three verticals that we're talking about here. The first is pure decentralization, peer-to-peer trading on blockchain. But it takes a lot of work to set up your wallet, to make that transaction happen, to move content or currency to a friend. That's the first vertical. Then in the middle is the vertical where you're also on-chain, but this is what I refer to as Web3. This is more of a centralized situation where companies and brands are providing experiences for users that they're familiar with. They don't have to do so much work. They could be, in fact, lazy. So the way we'll get onto a centralized platform and have a transaction occur, like on a Nike.com, that's similar to what's happening in the NFT space with a company, you know, like a marketplace like OpenSea or a digital finance platform like Coinbase. It's really easy to operate. However, the consumer needs to be aware of the fact that those central platforms come with a certain amount of risk. So if you're trading, for example, on Coinbase, you need to make sure that the cryptocurrency or the NFT that you perhaps own is stored in your own digital wallet. Because God forbid, if Coinbase goes out of business, you could lose everything. And we've seen that recently with FTX. The third vertical is off-chain metaversal experiences like gaming platforms. Okay, got it. I'm trying to think about whether taking the existing opportunities of Web3 and Metaverse is something that is, let's wait till see how it develops and we can sort of start leaning into it in the future. If it is, hey, there's real revenue opportunity now, so we should try to pursue it. If it's, we should be learning so we can experiment. Or is it, if I don't do something now, I'm going to miss the train. I'm not going to be able to enter later. It comes down to the goals and objectives of the brand. If you're looking to dip your toe in the water right now, 
you'll get benefit immediately. There's no doubt about it. If benefit could come both commercially as well as from a marketing perspective. But I believe that consumers are looking for more. Think about this, for example. We have a strategic partnership with a publicly traded company they trade on NASDAQ that builds immersive experiences in the metaverse. And one of their success stories is that they've built a Barbie dream house on top of Roblox, which existed for about 90 days. Now, a lot of strategists from the marketing side will say, if we spend a quarter of a million dollars to create a new YouTube video and we get a couple of million impressions, it's a win, right? I think that's fair to say. With this example, with the Barbie Dreamhouse, our partners were able to, in a 90-day period, attract almost 70 million unique visitors that went into the Dreamhouse and interacted for seven minutes. They played DJ, they went swimming, and beyond. So there are different ways that companies could get involved right now, and they should. The demand is there, the proof is there, right? When you have companies like Mattel and Manchester City Football Club and Bulgari, all these companies are entering the space. Now is really the time. I think companies should start thinking about what their strategy is down those two roads. How are we going to monetize it if now? And how are we going to use it for marketing? And they should start to chart this out. I love it. There's so many other questions I have. I know we're reaching the top of our time with you. Certainly, I would suggest people buy your book. For me, it's the most clear laying out of what Web3 is, what Metaverse is, and what we can do with it now. How else can people connect with you? So I'm on LinkedIn, Mark Beckman. I'm on Twitter, Mark Beckman. I think you could see a lot of interesting information. I like to share content that is educational and also newsworthy. So I think those are great places to start. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Great. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being here with us. And thanks for making this what feels like a very distant, amorphous and scary thing that is hard to get our heads around to help us really understand it in a way that's tangible. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers.